Well, my name's Amanda, if you don't know me yet. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Central, and I work with our 9th through 12th grade students. And if that was any indication that video, we are starting a new series today. It's titled, Odd Man In. And some of us know what it's like to be on the in, the inside crowd. We know the lowdown, we're in. And then some of us know what it's like to be out. Anybody? Am I the only one here where you feel like the odd one out? Maybe you just don't quite fit into the group. Um, You feel maybe left out. And I really, really felt that when I was in elementary school, when it came to reading. I was really bad at reading. My proficiency and my speech and spelling, like all of my friends at my table would be able to do the spelling bee great, and I would just always flunk out of that. So I felt like the odd one out when it came time for reading and Amanda had to get up and go to tutoring. I hated that. I just wish everyone would like not watch me have to scurry off to tutoring and I felt like the odd one out. And I think if we were to pass the mic up and down these rows, we would hear story after story about how at times we haven't felt like the one in, but we have felt like the one out. Maybe based on our age, our race, our gender, Maybe your career status or your relationship status and you felt like you're the only one like you in that group. If you've ever felt that way, it's good news because this series is for you. In fact, Jesus often brought people in who were on the margins, who were left out, who were forgotten by culture and other groups of people. Jesus brought them in. And so this is good news for us. Those of us who fell out We are the odd ones in, in this series. So we're going to be looking over the next several weeks at different um, groups of people and different things like that of what it looks like for God to invite us in. Growing up, I played some sports. It probably doesn't look like it because I'm not very athletic, Um, but I played soccer, volleyball, and track. And the older I got, I started going more into the arts. So I did dance, cheerleading, theater, stuff like that. But during my more competitive sport days, I played soccer. Bay Lightning was my travel soccer team, and I wasn't the best. I wasn't the oldest or the most coordinated. I was honestly there for social hour, okay? That's just kind of how I roll. But there was one uh, teammate that was there named Josie, and she was incredibly intimidating to me. I don't don't know what it was. She would tell me stories um, just to kind of scare me about what high school was going to be like. Or, make sure you don't hit your head with a soccer ball, or your lip will get stuck in your braces. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know? And I remember just really being intimidated by Josie, and there was one day that she decided to give me a nickname, an identifier, that would be with me the rest of my soccer career, and it's two words, baby powder. She gave me the nickname Baby Powder because one day, as we were doing soccer drills, you know, kicking the ball around, she gets a little close to me and she's like, do I smell baby powder? And I was like, yeah. My mom got me new deodorant, baby powder scented. I didn't think anything of it. We all wear deodorant. It was fine, no big deal. But she saw that as an opportunity to poke fun at me. And so I'm buying rose-scented deodorant, lavender, you know, misty breeze, nothing. For there on out, I was always known to her and eventually the rest of the team as baby powder. That was my identifier. Maybe you have an identifier 
Hopefully not so embarrassing as baby powder, but maybe you have an identifier because of a decision you made, whether it was good or bad, and that's kind of what you're known for. Today, we're going to look at an odd man out, turned odd man in, and he had an identifier that I'm guessing many of you know. His name is Thomas. What was his identifier? Baby powder. Yeah, no, just kidding. (laughs) Doubting Thomas. Good job. So we're going to talk today about Doubting Thomas. And we're going to look specifically in the story um, found in John chapter 20. So turn with me, if you would. John is really the only one that talks about Thomas. The other Gospels mention him as part of the 12, but in John, we see him four different times. The first time is in John chapter 11, verse 16. We hear about the story of Lazarus being sick and Jesus wanting to go to Jerusalem to see him. And Thomas says something pretty profound. He says, Let's go to and die with Jesus. And this could seem strange, and we could go on a whole sermon about this as well, but what we see here is this love and courage of Thomas. And he's saying really what the rest of the disciples were feeling, of if we go to Jerusalem, this could be bad. I mean, Jesus, you could die here, and we're going to die with you. I kind of like the courage and the sincerity that I feel in that statement from Thomas. Thomas is also mentioned in John chapter 14, verse 5. Jesus is talking about, you know the way to the Father. I'm going to the Father's house. I'm preparing you a room. You guys know that story, right? And Thomas has just this uninhibited honesty that just comes out. He says, we don't know where you're going, Lord. Are you kidding me? We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Again, this guy is honest. He shares how he's feeling. And I feel a kindred spirit with Thomas in that way. We also see Thomas in John chapter 21. And this is where you see the story of the disciples on the boat. They're fishing. Jesus is on the shore, the resurrected Jesus. They have breakfast together. It's a great story. But between the way to the Father and the boat story, we see in John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29, excuse me, we see this really incredible story where Thomas gets his nickname, where he gets his identifier. Prior to this, Jesus died and rose again. Yahoo! Did I make it sound like you? That was good. (laughs) Yahoo! Okay, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. Mary sees the tomb and she's so excited Jesus is alive. And then Jesus shows up to the disciples who are in a room with the doors locked, hanging out, And Jesus shows up and says this. He says, peace be with you. He shows them his wounds and his hand and in his side. They're overjoyed. Jesus is alive. He talks about, I'm going to be sending you. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And he also talks about the forgiveness of sins. And this is a really, really big deal. And everyone was there, except who? Thomas. I don't know if he was at the grocery store. I don't know if he was just like parking the donkey or what he was doing, but he missed it. And he goes walking into this room and everyone else is so excited. And we're gonna pick up right there in John chapter 20. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I've seen the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
everyone else got to experience this good news. And now the spotlight is on Thomas, the odd one out, who has not experienced this. And I don't think this skepticism, this doubt is coming from a place of like, I don't believe in the resurrection, in this like really weird intellectual place. I think it was coming from a place of grief. I mean, remember in in John 11, he was willing to die for Jesus. He loves Jesus. He was loyal and sincere to Jesus. And now he's like, don't don't toy with my emotions. Like, like, are you serious? Is, Is he really alive? And I can see him and hear him wrestling with these questions, uncertainty. I don't see this question and this demand being a stubborn thing, but more of coming from a place of grief over his friend has died and now this doubt has crept in of what what do I do with this information so what happens next it's been a week a week since the resurrection just like us today it's Easter okay Thomas is with the disciples together we're going to come back to that so keep that word together in your brain but let's continue reading to see what happens a week later it says a week later in verse 26 his disciples were in the house again And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. This sounding pretty familiar. Didn't he just do this a week earlier? That's awesome. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it to my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is a pretty explosive passage. The words doubting Jesus have become Jesus's words to a doubting Thomas. We see Thomas expressing, I'm not going to believe until I see this and touch this and all that. And Jesus is like, here I am. Jesus addresses his doubts with this positive and physical evidence. And he's got this great declaration in verse 28. What does Thomas say? Verse 28. My Lord and my God. Y'all, this is going to be a little Bible nerd moment, okay? The biggest doubter becomes this biggest proclamator of like who God is, this big statement of faith. It wasn't like this astonishment of praise of like, yay, Jesus, but like this belief of you are my Lord, you are my God. When I work on sermon stuff, I usually talk it through with my husband named Boston, like the Boston Celtics, yes. Um, And Boston, we were talking about this, and he was like, wow, doubting Thomas becomes declaring Thomas. And I was like, I'm writing that down. You're a pastor. That's great. (laughs) So doubting Thomas becomes declaring Thomas. And what's even more cool is this story is located one chapter before the end of the book of John. Do you guys remember the beginning of the book of John? Yeah? Yeah? You hear this language of in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. About Jesus, this light stepping down into our darkness to become our Lord and our God. And throughout the book of John, you see this being proven and seen and revealed. And at the very end of the book, you see this biggest doubter making chapter one fully known on a personal level, my Lord and my God. And if you thought that was cool, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter four because Thomas's words not only echo in the scripture, but it echoes all the way to the throne room of God. 
as the elders are falling down on their faces, we see this in chapter 4, verse 11 of Revelation, you are worthy, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will were created and have their being. I love this. This breakthrough of heartfelt belief in Thomas's heart echoes throughout the book of John and echoes into the throne room of God. That's beautiful. Jesus continues in verse 29. He makes this statement. And I don't think it's like, oh, now you believe? <laughs> I think it's more of this statement of because you have seen me, you have believed And then Jesus continues and said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's thinking of us. People who haven't seen the tomb. You and me, we haven't seen the nail-scarred hands. And there's a blessing to you and to me that there is faith, that there is hope, that Jesus recognizes that this journey is gonna be a little challenging without that physical evidence. And I don't know about you, but I love this story. Because I can see myself in Thomas. I haven't seen the tomb. I haven't seen the nail-scarred hands. Like Thomas, I've had life experiences. You've had life experiences. Where life just kind of rocks you to your core and doubt can creep in. I get that. And I don't think I'm the only one here, whether you're live or online. We've all had doubts. It's inevitable. And y'all, it's extremely painful sometimes to have doubts, to sit into the unknowns. Sometimes they come through, through intellectual spaces and challenges, maybe in your Sunday school class or an article you're reading. The world we live in today is very different than it was 50, 20, 100 years ago. Like, it's, it's just so different. We have access to so many different groups of people and information all over the world. And so sometimes our intellect is challenged when we see something online or we're sitting in Sunday school and we hear something intellectual and we're just kind of jarred a little bit and we're figuring out, what is it that I believe? What category do I put this in? Other times doubts come through life crisis or experiences or moments. Once more, you don't have a category to put it in. Something is feeling off and, and maybe a belief or relationship is just feeling a little pressed and you're not sure what to do with that unknown. As one emotionally overwhelmed father said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We get this. Experiences can rock us. We ask questions like, why is this happening? Or God, where are you in this moment? If we're not careful those doubts can either be swept under the rug or knocked over and crumbled. Growing up, I enjoyed playing dominoes, like the colored plastic ones for the sheer purpose of setting them up and knocking them over. It was invigorating. But you would set them up and you'd make maybe a design or colors. You'd have them go up and down the stairs. And my uncle and I would work on that until my brother would come walking down the stairs, and I'm like, Nathan, you need to walk a little lighter. These dominoes are very delicate, as you see. And once in a while, he would not be able to just resist, and he'd go, and all the dominoes would just go falling. And Amanda would be spicy, because she was working hard on those dominoes. I don't want us to have a domino-like faith when it comes to doubt. 
that when life kind of rattles us, life kind of shakes us, that our faith just crumbles like a house of cards or a row full of dominoes and we just can't hang on. Sure, we're gonna be rocked, but we don't have to abandon all faith in this beautiful journey that God's called us on. In fact, faith and doubt, they're not mortal enemies. Faith is not the same thing as certainty, nor is doubt the enemy of faith. It can actually exist and produce greater and more authentic and resilient faith if you allow it to. Just like Thomas, it can be a beautiful thing. So the good news is whether emotional or intellectual, God welcomes us with our doubts and can lead to a pathway of trusting God in new and unexpected ways. Can I get an amen? That's good news for us. Because doubts are going to happen. Doubts are going to come. Therefore, we don't need to fear. We've been giving beautiful, curious, creative, wondrous minds that long to uncover, discover, and imagine great things about our God and our world. 2 Corinthians 5, 6-7 says, We live by faith, not by reason. What? No. We live by faith, not by sight, which means we actually do use reason. We are encouraged to use our brains and our reason in this life. If you caught that that slip up, there you go, good job. We were created with critical minds. And we see the Lord even encouraging this in Isaiah chapter 118. He says, come now, let us reason together. And in Isaiah 41, God's saying, present your case, set forth your arguments. The creator of our minds clearly encourage us to use it. You see this even in Jesus. Jesus could have laid everything out so perfectly, but instead Jesus used stories or parables and invites us to wrestle and chew and apply the good news to our lives. And I think that's what we're supposed to do today, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. We don't leave our brains and our reason at the door. So maybe you're here and you're like, uh, I have doubts. But there's, there's someone in my family And man, there are some doubts Or there's someone in my small group Or my Sunday school class Or my spouse and, and they're wrestling What do I do as part of God's community? First, I want to talk to us, the doubters I want you to lean into the doubt Lean into God And lean into community Leaning into the doubt is uncomfortable But just because it's uncomfortable It doesn't mean it's bad Just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's bad. In fact, it can lead to deeper faith. Again, Thomas, this moment of desperation and doubt has led to this amazing declaration because he said it out loud. He could have stuffed that in and been like, oh, great, disciples, that's good news for you. But he was like, "I'm, I'm saying what's on my heart. I'm leaning into these questions. Can anybody help me understand what's happening? I remember in college, um, being a ministry student, In the classroom, you could debate and talk about things, but there was kind of a line of like how much you could really push or ask because then people could think like you're sub-spiritual or like you shouldn't be a ministry major, stuff like that. And I remember one day in class, we were talking about God and we're, you know, breaking our faith down and, and rubbing it together and molding it. And I was just feeling so overwhelmed. And I went to my professor and I was like, I just have to tell you what I'm feeling. And I asked the question no ministry major should ask but I did. I said, what if God isn't even real? You know what she said to me? She said, okay, 
what if God isn't? And I remember being like, can we actually talk about this? Like, can we actually like chew on some of this stuff together? And she allowed me that space and leaning into the doubt and saying it out loud. And you guys, that has led to deeper love and conviction of who I know God to be because I chose not to sweep it under the rug. I I chose to get it out in the open and lean into my questions. And I encourage you to do that too. And I don't know about for you, but for the heart of my doubts, usually it's because I want to know God and my world more. So remember that as you're leaning in. Lean into the doubts and lean into Christ. As long as we have Christ and him crucified, we can embrace the doubts and grow and benefit from that journey. I would encourage you, however, to remain in those disciplined rhythms, spending time with God in prayer and in scripture reading. I've had too many people who who show up with doubts about God. I was like, well, when's the last time you spent time with God? They're like, "Eh, I I don't pray anymore, I don't read my scripture, but I have a lot of questions about God. Our God is relational. We don't leave God at the door and we can't just think our way out of doubts. We've gotta wrestle with God. We've gotta wrestle with the scripture. We've gotta wrestle in prayer. Our faith journey isn't about avoiding wrestling. It's learning how to wrestle well and figure out a good way to have conversations with God and trusting God that through this we can have a more authentic and resilient faith. Lean into the doubt, lean into God. Last but not least, lean into community. Distancing yourself from God and community can be corrosive to your faith. Don't pull away. Don't pull away from the people that love and care about you. They can make you sharper. They can empathize with you. They can give you wisdom beyond your years and help you work through those doubts, those painful questions that have risen in your life. I want us to flip quickly to Psalm 73. We see here the psalmist struggling with some doubt, and he he goes into detail. I'd encourage you to read that later this week. But in Psalm 73, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Has anyone ever been there when you're like, I can say, God, you are good with my head, but my heart's feeling something different? Uh Uh-huh, right? And the psalmist is saying that here, like, surely you are good. Like, I've been told that. I sing that in the choir. Like, surely you are good. But I'm struggling right now. Again, I can empathize with him. And he goes on to explain the conflicts, and he's seeing evil take place. And at the end of just saying all those things, again, leaning into the doubt, verse 16, we see a turning point for him. He says, but when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. This temple in Jerusalem that was filled with worship and praise and sacrifices and choirs and classrooms full of debating and lectures and learning and reading and praying. And he immersed himself in the midst of doubts into a community that could support him and love him. I guarantee you, you are not the only one asking the questions that you're asking. Open yourself up to God and the community around you. Which leads us to us, the community. What do we do when doubts arise in our small group, our Sunday school, our families, our grandchildren, our friends? What do we do about that? Remember I said I was a cheerleader? 
again, if that wasn't obvious, um, cheerleading was a big part of my life. And there were some cheers that we would cheer as cheerleaders, others we would cheer with the crowd, and others that the student section would cheer, but we weren't allowed to because they weren't always sportsmanlike, okay? I had my pom-poms and I'd be like, that's a good one, but like I wasn't supposed to cheer along with them, okay? Only encouraging things. But one of the cheers the student section would do was this one. You can't do that. Anybody know that one? And I'm with my pom-poms, I'm like, that's fun, okay? But you can't do that. And sometimes I think we feel that when we share with other people, we think people are gonna say, you can't doubt that. You can't think that. You can't ask that. And it's usually not the doubt that shuts us out, it's the fear of what people will say or fearing a safe place of being judged or looking incompetent or subspiritual. It's the lack of safe space that usually causes people not to share. Remember when we read earlier and I said it was important that word together? Thomas shared his doubt. And his friends, the disciples, didn't say, you crazy, how can you not believe this? Like Jesus talked about being resurrected. You of little faith, get out of here. No, a week later, they were still together. Figuring this out together. Thomas was not pushed aside, but still part of the community, even in his doubt. Thanks be to God. And I think that's how we are supposed to be. When we have friends and family that are having doubt, we don't push them out. We open our ears, not shut the door. We are hospitable. We are open. In Jude chapter 22, we are told to be merciful to those who doubt. Merciful. To take the odd ones out, make them the odd ones in. Make room at the table. And I'm not saying it's easy, but listening is a great place to start. Praying for patience is also very helpful because when someone comes to you with a lot of questions and you don't have answers, it's very easy to feel flustered or frustrated. Pray for endurance and patience when you're journeying with people who doubt and help where you can. Help them research, help them point them to God, point them to community, maybe even unveil the smokescreen. Maybe the question they're asking, there's actually something deeper at play, and you as that extra person can kind of help them work through that. It's a journey, but we do this together, as Thomas did. There's a quote that I want us to end on. It should be heading on the screen soon. This guy named Ted Mackey, uh, he's brilliant, biblical scholar, and he says this, I heard a helpful maxim about bravery. Being brave doesn't mean that we don't get scared. Bravery means that doing the right thing even when we are scared. The same idea is applied to our faith journey. Having faith doesn't mean living without any doubts. Faith is about trusting in God even in the presence of our doubts. Doubts will come. It's inevitable whether it's an intellectual question with our brains or a life experience that just kind of jars us, it's going to happen to all of us at some point. And I encourage you to use those experiences to grow. Bring those doubts out in the open. Lean into God, lean into community, and community, let's step up and be a hospitable place for all the odd ones out, including me.